there are so many people that can <laughs> recite all the terms, Alex. They can say everything. They can sound like Todd McShay up there. They, they know all the teams. They know all the players. They know all those things. But if you can, once you make that introduction, once you've met someone, if you can talk about that human, if you can make that contact and make that relationship stronger by doing something like that, that really proves you went the extra mile, it's going to resonate with people and it's going to help you build relationships that last and it's going to it's going to pay pay dividends for you as you move through your career do i really look like a guy with a bbm welcome to up close in personnel with alex brown i'm your host alex brown director of recruiting over at rice university and we've got another really good episode coming for you with neil stratton of inside the league. Now, Neil has been working with agents and scouts really since the early 2000s, and we talk about his journey, his process, and we dive into his book called Scout Speak. Now, this episode is all about the evaluating process. It's about the scouting industry, how to break in, and it's just a really good episode as far as young people trying to make it in this industry and the human connection that's required. And really building those relationships and never stopping with building your network. So normally I've honestly got a script and I'm just reading through it and I try so hard to make it perfect. Uh, Here we are 9.06 p.m. Friday night. Uh, Hey, it's it's the regular season. Uh, We got a scrimmage tomorrow. Um, Just making it in the COVID era. So just to uh, you kind of bring you into my world, you know, I've got a lot of things going on and, you know, I'm just so glad that through two seasons now and 24 episodes in up close in personnel is running strong and it's all because of you as the listener. So as always, please hit the subscribe button, please rate the show, share it with somebody, you know, and that's going to, that's going to grow this thing. And I really do mean it when Um, You know, this whole purpose of this show is to educate and inform people involved in this business. So whether you're a player, coach, scout, recruiter, whatever, um, thank you for tuning in. And since I didn't even ask the question to our guest this week, uh, what are you reading, listening to, or watching right now? Um, I just got to give a shout out to a couple of books that I'm on right now, a couple of books that I've got up in queue, uh, reading Earn the Right to Win by Tom Coughlin really good when you're just trying to learn about building a culture, building an organization, uh, developing your team and leadership. And uh, it's a it's a really, really nitty gritty on how to build a team from the ground up. And next up, Lives of the Stoics, Ryan Holiday, um, somebody I'm a huge fan of. And he actually just jumped on the Ryan Hawk Learning Leader Show. Check it, that episode out. And uh, I've also got The Dynasty, recommended by our quarterback, Mike Collins. So check those books out if you got a chance, or if you're just looking for something to add to your library. I'm really excited to get to those next two, Lives of the Stoics and The Dynasty. So enough with the rant. I appreciate you listening to the show and uh, look forward to bringing you my conversation with Neil Stratton from Inside the League. Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um... Neil, welcome to the show. 
Hey, Alex, it's uh, it's my my pleasure to be here, man. I really appreciate you having me on. You know, I, I don't think uh, it was either 2000, I think it was 2011, first time we ever met. Do you remember where we met? It had to be at a pro day, right? Probably at uh, U of H's pro day? Or, no, uh, no. So we were at Texas versus the nation oh in San God. Antonio. And it was my first ever all-star game and I show up right when the weigh-ins are starting and you're in the back and you're like typing everything out and I'm like lost and you're like hey uh, who are you with and I was like nobody I'm with my website he's like oh, okay cool we'll check out check out inside the league I just started you know really diving in the scouting side 10 years later here we are and um, we've definitely run into each other a bunch at UH pro days and um, you know kind of throughout but I, I really, really am excited to get you on this show because our whole focus is the personnel, the scouting side, the recruiting side. and That's something that you've kind of transitioned into. And uh, really, it, you're, you're the insider in an insiderless industry. So talk me through, you know, what led to you starting this? You know, what was your origin story? Because every time I listen to you talk to somebody or you're on a call or you're around my guys, you always ask, what's your origin story? Because I know that's your favorite thing to ask. But I want to flip that on you. Like, like, what got you into this? Man, I, I, origin stories tell you so much. And uh, there's so many. It always, to me, it always exposes kind of who the, the central people were in your, in your rise. And I think a lot of us in this industry, or really any industry, think, oh, wow, look at that person. Look how he got where he is. He probably uh, just knew everything. Um, didn't need to meet anybody. Didn't have to have any help. And that's at least in my case, certainly not true. Um, the the long story, I'll try to keep it as pithy and interesting as possible. Uh, I moved to Houston in 1997 and knew nobody but my parents and uh, my brother. And so uh, I was working for the Houston Chronicle. Inside of the first two weeks there, I met a girl um, who said, oh, you love football. You need to meet my, uh, my fiance. Uh, he wants to start this new service and be the next Mel Kuyper Jr. I was like, sure. I didn't know anything. I didn't have anything else to do. So for four years or maybe five, we essentially took turns losing about $2,000 a year going around and doing four editions that were print in the late 90s. And we would basically, like I say, take turns publishing it, assuming the publishing costs. And this is when the internet is kind of going up and print's kind of going down. And so after, but I started going to these all-star games and meeting people like yourself. And um, someone at one point said, hey, you know, there's nothing for agents out there. Why don't you do something for agents? And I thought, you know, maybe that's not a, not a bad idea. At the time, uh, as you probably recall, uh, Jerry Maguire was playing on TBS like three times a day, sometimes four times a day. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating that much. Everyone was fascinated with the movie and uh, it became an obsession and people started to think, man, being a sports agent would be really cool. And at the time there were about 1500 sports agents or I'm sorry, NFL agents. Now there's about half of that. So I thought, well, Hey, why don't I try to capture this audience? No one else is doing this. Let's, let's try to make this my niche. And so I did We launched in 02 and um, you know, I did a lot of market research and met all these people and um, we launched some more. So we launched Memorial day of 2002 and I'd done all this research and I, and I thought, man, we're going to have so much success. I'm afraid our servers are going to crash. And I was really 
I mean, we launched like at midnight and uh, initially the, the cost was $250 for a year. And uh, so at the next day, I think I got three subscribers and by, that was on Monday, by Tuesday, one of them wanted his money back. So that was kind of my humble uh, entrance into this industry. Um, there's been a lot of kind of stops and starts and, and ups and downs for the first seven years we were making about $3,000 a year, um, at least covering my cost or my wife didn't hate me totally, but it didn't take off really until uh, I got hired to run the Hula Bowl in 2007, summer of, and I was kind of relieved because I thought, hey, I can finally show to this site. It got me where I needed to be. I'm going to work for the Hula Bowl for 20 years. I'll retire to Hawaii. I'll wear a grass skirt, whatever. Everything's great. And, um, so first month of January, first month of 2008, I found myself home. The game was canceled. My company phone had been cut off. And then the next day, my uh, insurance was cut off. And I thought, you know, maybe uh, inside the league starting to look a little better now. So for about two weeks, I, I sat around and, you know, kind of cried in my beer and felt sorry for myself. And my wife said, you know, when you started inside the league, it was going to be just for industry insiders, nobody else. And you're going to charge accordingly. You're going to make it a little bit more expensive. Why don't you really go for it and really do that? And I said, you know, I guess I got no other options. So we went from, we started at 250 a year, but because we had no interest, we cut it back to 45 for a nine month cycle. So we took the, the summers off. So I went back to the $25 per month thing model and I relaunched and called all my people that had been subscribers and said, Hey, we're, I'm going to do this this way and it's going to be different. You're going to love it. And they're like, you're crazy. How can you, I mean, who are you to charge 25 a month when you're charging 45 a year? You're stupid. You'll fail. I'm not coming back. That was in September. They all pretty much came back in November. And so we slowly started to build that way. And now, of course, we've added a lot of things. We do a lot of things for agent exam prep and we do, we have newsletter series that go directly to agents and tell them exactly what they need to be knowing at certain times. And we, track who's getting hired and who's getting fired and all those kind of things. So about four years ago, I thought, you know, I'm going to really start kind of trying to track which scouts are getting hired or fired every year. I think that would be interesting. I think it'd be a good addition for my agent clientele. And I, and I came to find out no one else was tracking that. And the reason is, as you know, Alex, almost all football news out there happens because of the agent industry. They're going out and telling their favorite writer or their, you know, they've gotten information here, or there, or whatever, and so they're connected, and there's a lot of quid pro quo and what have you. Scouts don't have agents. They're not making enough money. They live in a very volatile industry. Their job is to be quiet and secretive and private and all those kind of things. You're not going to read about this area scout or that area scout that found this kid or whatever on, uh, you know, ESPN or anything. So there's no one out there when a guy gets hired or fired or anything at all, there's no one out there saying, Hey, this guy got hired or this guy got fired. You're not going to read about it you know, in, in, in major websites. So I started tracking that. Well, I started putting it on Twitter and one thing led another. And I started to have lots and lots of scouts following me because no one else was doing this. And then a lot of people kind of like yourself tuned into this and figured out, Hey, I, I follow the industry. I want to know more about it. So started following me and I don't have a huge uh, Twitter following. But the people that I have typically are in the game. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't even put a lot of stuff on my Twitter because I've got a paid content site. I mean, I've got to try to save that for the people that are 
my subscribers. But one brick by brick, we've kind of built that out. And so uh, this summer we did a professional development course with former NFL GMs who came on for a week and talked for an hour plus with actual scouts and directors uh, about the industry and gave them a chance to grow. And we're trying to develop new ways to do that. I mean, at the end of the day, Alex, inside the league is a niche service. It always will be. Um, but I love my niche. I love you know, people like you. I love people in the industry. Yesterday, uh, I did nothing but text with other directors of personnel, including yourself, probably a dozen of y'all, and talked. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm helping. A, it's a long story, but it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's, these are the people that understand me. They have made a sacrifice in their lives for what they're passionate about. There's no guarantees. They're out there taking a chance. And that's essentially, at the end of the day, what I did. And I, even if it weren't for football, I, I identify with people like yourself because you're chasing something. There's no guarantee of success, you, but you know what you want to do. You're going for it. That's kind of who I was 20 years ago. And um, those are the people that, again, I just, I guess I feel I have a lot in common with. And so every day is a lot of fun for that reason. Um, people that are in this industry, I mean, I, being rich is great. Being famous is great, but there's certainly no, you know, no one knows that that's going to happen. And at the end of the day, it's really more about the game. It's about the people that are in the game. It's the networks, it's the friends you make, um, all those kinds of things. And again, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, Alex, but it's no less true, you know, almost two decades into this. That's really cool. And, uh, you, you know, um, you, you definitely have a heart for helping people out. And I think that's really cool. And, um, actually one of my, interns uh, Justin Marcus got the book he was on the call last week you had with uh, you know the first people that that bought the book right away um, but I want to take another step back too because I, I started reading through you're about to inside the league and you self-describe yourself as possibly the worst football player on the worst football team in the late 80s in reference to your your brief stint as a walk-on for Navy so I had to throw that out there because I thought that was hilarious. When you're six but, four, you get the benefit of the doubt, okay? And I went to Navy at the time when I was at Navy. This is in the you know the late '80s, you know, which is the wood ship era. I mean, get out of here! It's a long time ago. But they wanted us to drop down to FCS. Then that's how bad we were. I mean, we were consistently oh. bad. We were losing to FCS teams. We might as well move down to FCS, right? Um, I mean, Notre Dame was drilling us. I remember one year we played. Notre Dame with Rick Meyer and Jerome Bettis. I mean, that game was over by, you know, halfway into the first quarter. Not because we weren't out there trying and busting our butts, but because the, the talent was overwhelming for these teams. We didn't have any talent. I mean, I was on a team. So, I mean, you know, I was just a big stiff guy and not a great athlete. I was practice field meat, Alex. I mean, I was a guy, you know, just another body in the rotation. But it was great to be part of that locker room and see that and know that. And, you know, by virtue of the fact that I actually was part of a locker room, I was – and I never said fell on the field. Um, but I was part of a Division One program. That's pretty cool. Not everyone gets a chance to do that. So then what was your – so obviously you knew you wanted to be involved in football. You're willing to, like, go through that process of, you know, busting your butt just to be on a team, right? Because it takes a different mentality to be a walk-on. And we talk about that when we're evaluating guys to walk on. It's no different than, you know, street free agents for, for the NFL because um, you've, you've got to grind for it. So you obviously knew you wanted to be in football. 
and it was important to you and kind of had an interest in the draft, kind of had an interest in the agent world. But growing up, what was your dream job like? What was the, you know, I want to be this when I'm when I'm older? And that's the thing, Alex. I I never take for granted that I got to do what I wanted to do in life. When I was a kid, um, I had two goals. I didn't want to be the president of the United States. Uh, three. I either wanted to be a professional basketball player, the president of the United States, or an NFL insider. Those are my three goals, okay? I got eliminated from NBA a long time ago. I mean, that was before I even got out of high school. Presidency, yeah, when I failed out of Navy, that pretty much ended those dreams. But I did still have a possibility of doing this. And, you know, I, I remember sitting in my living room on a Sunday afternoon, and it was like halftime of – um, some NFL game, and they were, this is back when there was a guy named a writer named Will McDonough. Um, everyone knows Sean, the broadcaster Sean McDonough now. He was he's his dad, and McDonough was the insider back then. And I remember there was even discussion that he might become GM of the Patriots back then because he was so knowledgeable about, about the game and had so many contacts and such a big network. And I remember thinking that would be incredible. I mean, what if you were so connected in the industry that you would go from just somewhat a member of the media to the NFL. And now that's not an uncommon thing. I mean, we're seeing that all the time uh, in San Francisco, in Oakland, uh, so many players. Now these are players, these are ex players with a, a deep reserve of NFL knowledge, but they're going from essentially the booth to the GM seat. And there's a lot of discussion about Daniel Jeremiah doing that one day. That's not going to happen for Neil Stratton, but the point is it's really exciting to have seen one particular career path falling backwards into it and have and being lucky enough to at least to some degree realize that dream and uh, you know a lot of people think well you go straight from wanting to do something to becoming a big success at it you know there's a old joke it's like a lot of people see the line of success being a straight line kind of like this and actually it's a squiggly line that goes up and down and all around and stuff and still gets to that same point but with lots of, you know, ups and downs along the way. And that's certainly been the case for inside the league. So, um, again, I, I know every day that God uh, has blessed me with this weirdo career path. I know it could be over tomorrow. And so I try to never take it, uh, take it for granted. And I try to remember every day I got to be thinking of something new to do so that people will tune in and get excited about it and understand that this is something I'm passionate about and hopefully that I can benefit them with. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of those things was the book that you just put out, Scout Speak. Um, I know you can just search it on Google, pull it up on Amazon. Sure. Um, it's a quick read, but it, there's a lot of like really, really good nuggets from guys who've been scouting, like current scouts, former scouts. Um, the format's really easy to get through. So I kind of want to just dive into that a little bit. You listed out 10 things for people to know about breaking into scouting and don't want you to go through and, and run through all 10 of those. But having gone through that process of kind of trying to answer that question yourself and answer that from talking to people in the league and just your experiences, you know, doing inside the league, being at pro days, you know, seeing drafts and seeing players pan out or not pan out. But what have you found to be some commonalities between the best in the industry when it comes to guys in the league that are great evaluators, whether that's scouts and or decision makers? What, what are some of the common traits that you've seen? in the best? Well, I'll tell you, Alex, 
uh, again, as you know, as not a lot of people know, I think <clears throat> it has become maybe accepted. One of the new models in scouting is that you're asking your low-level scouts to go out and um, get facts and then come back and then let the guys that make the, all the big money make the decisions. I don't think that that's something that most people think about when they become scouts, and I would encourage them not to. Develop your own opinions. Be wrong. Um, learn. That's when I, when, when ITL first started, that was a lot of what we did was watch film and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, you start off thinking you know football, and you, you, then you, you get graded on draft day because, hey, man, I thought this guy was going to go here, and he winds up going here. And I thought this guy was going to last in the league for 10 years, and he lasted two years. Um, so you got to learn all those things. That's number one. Be, don't be afraid to be wrong. Number two, I think you have to – there is never an end to meeting people and developing contacts and building bridges and trying not to burn bridges, even though that's going to happen sometimes. But it is a people-driven industry, and it is so important to meet as many people as you can, to leave them with a positive impression, be respectful even if they don't deserve it, even if they step on you. Um, all those things. And then the third thing is, man, you got to be there. Um, I think a lot of us, and, and I've been guilty of this myself, is you get to a certain point and you think, well, now everything's going to come to me. You know, I, I, I have reached this level to where I'm a director of player personnel or I'm, I've got a, a website that a few people know about or, I've got, or, or I'm an, an area scout in the NFL. You can't ever stop. Well, I'm going to go to this clinic. I'm going to go to this camp. And, and the, the lower you are on the rungs, the more important that story is. I mean, you already talked about the fact, Alex, that you're willing to drive to, I don't even know which game that was at. Was that one in San Antonio? Or was that in San Antonio. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, you're willing to go the extra mile. You're, and you were willing to go at a time when you probably didn't have a lot of, of off time. You know, um, the all-star games are an incredible time to go and meet people because everybody's there. And even at the lower tier all-star games, there are a lot of relevant people there who will be important in your climb. I mean, I remember the first senior bowl I ever went to, um, I was standing there on the sidelines and it's raining cause it's always raining in mobile. And this guy hands me a hat. Well, we wound up being friends for 15 years. Um, another guy, I don't know how I bumped into him, but, we had the discussion that led to inside the league starting up. So um, it's a – the relationships you don't even think about are ones that tend to be lasting and tend to be critical, and that's so important to know. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to be on a call tonight with some uh, friends that have draft services on Twitter, and these guys know way more about scouting probably than I know now, maybe, definitely more so um, – at their stage of development than I did when I was their age. But my message to them is going to be, you got to get out from behind that computer, man. You got to go out and find people that you, that can, can help build you and who are going to be willing to answer your questions and are going to be willing to make an introduction for you. That is so important. I mean, it, it cannot be exaggerated in, in my estimation. It's just a critical part of the game. It's a critical part of life, Alex. I mean, you can't do this by yourself and there's always someone who can give you a hand up and help you get in to places that you wouldn't have gotten into otherwise. Well, and, and the cool part is and you, you hear it from the way you talk about it, but also like 
even the foreword by Jeff Ireland, he's like, these are my brothers. These are my friends. Talk about just like, I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of people kind of on the outside looking in that don't realize how interconnected all of these scouts are. It doesn't really matter logo to logo. I mean, they're not the ones coaching against each other. So I guess, how do you kind of navigate when in the life of a scout, like building those relationships, you know, leveraging those, you know, professionally, but also like using that to enjoy what you're doing. Because I think like what you said just a second ago is so key. It's like, this is your life. You can't just survive, you know, on an Island watching tape all day long being a robot. Talk about like that side of it. Cause it really is a, a scouting you know, community. The football world is a paternity. And I think that's what binds people. Everyone, if you love football, then you have something in common with someone, another person automatically. I mean, there's a lot of times, I'll be at the combine and I'm sitting at a table at the Ram, which is kind of my office in Indianapolis. And uh, I'll have a meeting with someone like a 315 and then it overlaps with my 330 or whatever. And then, or maybe there's someone out there waiting to talk to, not that I'm so busy or whatever, but the point is there's a lot of people there and they'll, and two guys that have never met each other and you'll talk to, you'll introduce them. And then in five minutes, they know someone, a common person, you know, um, that's the beauty of football. That's what's so fun about this. And it's irrespective of color. It's becoming irrespective of sex. Um, it's irrespective of age. Um, there's that tie that binds. And uh, football and scouting, NFL scouting is a fraternity, is a subfraternity of the fraternity, just like being a college personnel guy is a, is a subfraternity of a fraternity. And uh, scouts are also... <laughs> I would say bound by the fact that they feel like they're kind of the stepchildren of the football industry because whereas your assistant coaches are mostly making six figures from the moment they come in, even, even as an assistant and then making half a million you know, and upwards of that, as they kind of progress through the, the, the league pretty quickly, you're looking at scouts who are starting off making $25,000, $30,000 initially. They've got to be in the game about four or five years before they reach that $100,000 plateau and so they see themselves as the R&D departments of the football team and yet they're being paid as indentured servants so that's another reason why I think scouts fit together but the at the end of the day in a normal year in a normal non-COVID year these guys are out on the road and they're seeing faces and they're trying to be the first one in the film room so they can hold the clicker and they're the ones bitching about you know the guy that they work with back at the other office and and, and they all have that kind of, you know, it's, it's that uh, warrior spirit. They're all on the road together. They're all doing these things. I mean, you, you talk to Scout long enough, they've always got some funny story about how they got lost somewhere and someone helped them or they decided to hit three schools or four schools in a day because they happened to be in that kind of area and they could hit small schools and they're all kind of like traveling in a, in a pack or whatever. I mean, you, you get that, uh, joie de vivre you know uh, of people that are kind of hailing the same region and and then you get to the combine and maybe you didn't know this guy or, or whatever but you you're sitting next to him in in uh in, in lucas oil stadium um on wide receiver day and uh but but again you've got that glue that holds you together even if you don't know the guy even if you you know if you've never even crossed paths with them you've got that glue you've got football and most of the time if you spend five minutes with them you're going to find a couple people that you know that are in common and inside of 10 minutes, you feel like you've known the guy for a long time. And that's, that's just an exciting part of the game. And, 
it's less common, I think, even in the world and society these days, as we get as we get more divisive and and more and less connected, and we all sit behind these screens instead of sitting in an airport with someone or sitting in a bus station or wherever. And um, that's one of the things I guess it's been exciting about being part of the industry is just meeting those people and and having that in co- that commonality, uh, being able to to call someone that you haven't talked to in a long time, but because you have a shared industry you get right back into things as if it hasn't been that long. I don't know if I answered your question or not, but there is no. a spirit of, you know, just a spirit of uh, that, just again, that commonality within the industry, even if you, you're wearing different colors that uh, has always been the case ever since I've been involved with it. Yeah. And um, you know, it, it, it definitely is, you know, the, the connection is, is so huge and obviously this year has been weird. Uh, you guys at inside the league and, and just kind of, you know, leveraging your connections uh, kind of made some pro days happen. So I know CBS covered it a little bit, but, um, you know, talk about how y'all are able to make it happen with these regional pro days and getting former scouts involved. And um, I think it was really cool because it was kind of, you know, your process, it seems like is, all right, what's the problem that's not being solved by somebody and how can I insert myself into that situation? So um, talk to me about kind of the pro day situation this year. When you're in niche service, Alex, man, you got to be able to find markets quickly and service markets quickly. And we're not a big, you know, we're not a big service. So, you know, I've got all these friends that scouting is such a volatile industry and, and people that aren't as familiar with it might not know, but you, know, you essentially get three years to prove yourself if you're lucky. And if you don't, then you're out and, in many cases, you wish you could get back in any way you can. And then there's a lot of guys that make it to 50 and they're not on the GM track. They're just seen as good guys, good evaluators, but they, the team doesn't want to make long-term investments in them anymore. And so they find someone younger. And so what I'm trying to say is you find a lot of guys who are very accomplished at this and have it in their blood and aren't in the NFL anymore. And so I've accumulated those relationships because those people are still valuable. They're interesting to talk to and they're good people. So when all this coronavirus stuff hit and scouts weren't getting on planes anymore and weren't getting in cars, the NFL was shutting everything down. There were still a lot of players out there who didn't get their pro days because they, they pulled the plug right around the middle of March. And so, you know, March is always, <coughs> excuse me, backloaded. I think two thirds of pro days typically happen from March 15th to really the first week of April, whereas the first two weeks are a little slower. It kind of just builds. Anyway, so all these players are out there without a combo, without a pro day, and they needed one. And so I started talking to agents. They're like, what am I going to do? I said, well, I got some things we can try. So especially for guys in the Sun Belt, Florida, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, we, I, I just happened to know a lot of scouts that were in those air ex scouts that were in those areas. And I knew that NFL teams were going to trust them over that people just going out and running and saying, Hey, look, here's my hand time, whatever. So essentially we had proctored exams. We had uh, pro days hosted by uh, former NFL scouts from Texas to Florida. And we probably worked out, I'd, I'd love to do the numbers. I haven't done it yet. We probably worked out 200 to 300 players. And that's a drop in the bucket compared to how many typically go through pro days in March and April. But at least we were able to help those guys. And a lot of them 
um, you know, wound up on teams. I found myself getting, re- had teams reaching out to me that from guys that I didn't even know saying, Hey, uh, what numbers do you have? And I would, so it, it came to be when a scout was done with his pro day, I would have him to, to take a picture of a sheet and send it to me. And so when a scout would reach out to me, I would say, here's what I got. And I would send all of them, all in, kind of in a big bundle. And then they started saying, well, hey, what about this guy? Are you working him out? What about this team? What about this school? And it kind of built from there. And, and honestly, Alex, I don't know what we're going to see in March of 2021, but we're geared up and prepared to provide the same service. Now, if we wind up doing it, it's going to be a, in a bit, a, hopefully a bit more organized, but it was tough. You know, you, you find when, when an agent would call me and say, Hey, I got a, a guy. I would say, okay, where is he? Can he get to this place? Uh, then I, now we've got to find a scout and I got to find a venue. I mean, it was kind of fun. I mean, it was kind of, I was like the logistical hub. I wasn't ever out there with a stopwatch, but you come, these scouts would come back with <laughs> sometimes hilarious stories. I mean, there was this, I, I write about this in the book, but there was a pro day in Dallas and two kids show up with their trainers and every trainer wants to be there. And somehow these two trainers <clears throat> start talking about methodology and they, dif- they differ about it. And so my scouts over here running the pro day, <laughs> they're in an actual fist fight. There's a fist fight going on during the, and, and like they're calling their agents and like it, it lasted for like seven or eight minutes. That's a long time for a fist fight. And so I'm like, you know, I, I was like, I, I can't even believe what's happening. It was crazy. All these weird stories come back from the road, but I mean, it was an un, unforgettable march. It was an unforgettable you know, whole period. I guess that's true for everyone in, in, the, in the nation and in the world because it was such an, a unique situation, but it was a lot of fun and, and kind of funny at times too. Um, I can hardly wait to see what happens March, 2021. I hope that uh, we have less violence, but certainly the same number of opportunities for everyone. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think nobody can really pro- project what's going on there. So, hey, maybe uh, maybe next March we'll have you back on and we can figure out what's going on by then. Um, I got some questions about the book too, and uh, again, appreciate you taking time to jump on this. Um, sure. In chapter four, in, in, I, I like the different kind of levels to it. It's about you know what's industry look like, how do you break in, what does it take to be a scout. But on the tail end, you talk about kind of the realities of like chapter four is losing the job. Like every There are two types of coaches. This is the quote everybody says. There's the ones that get hired and the ones that get fired. It's the same thing in scouting and personnel. So, um, you know, the trouble with the scouting industry is that there's no real process for evaluating the evaluators. And oh. you talk about that a little bit and how, you know, you've spent the last 20 years trying to find that solution. So. Um, you know, as I was thinking about how to ask you this question, you know, the main trouble is that there's often a disconnect between the coaching side and the, the personnel side. And it's kind of like us versus them or, hey, that's not my guy. And obviously that's some negative culture. Like we really have tried to focus on saying like, this is our guy and this is what we are looking for. But um, for, for college scouts and, and, and NFL scouts, what, what are some ways that you think teams can improve their processes for evaluating their evaluators? Well, number one, Alex, uh, the good side of scouting, the positive way to look at it is that it, it is a relationship industry. And so if you can develop those relationships, you've got a much better chance of breaking in. The, the flip side of that is that it, it can be a little cultish and it can 
certainly be an old boy network. And, uh, and I get it because so many teams, again, because scouting is so poorly understood and people are trying to introduce analytics and people are trying to understand what it is that scouts do. And, you know, and there's still people are saying, wait, we pay you to watch games. It's obviously a lot more to it than that. But what I'm trying to say is um, because it's so poorly understood and it's a bit of a network thing, um, scouts are, scouts find it harder to fire their buddies. And so maybe they don't want to be as harsh on someone who's been loyal to them. Uh, maybe they don't, don't want to evaluate, evaluate them in an objective way. Um, there's that. There's also just the fact that it's really hard to evaluate it. I mean, you can't look at a roster and say, well, this scout evaluated these guys and this scout evaluated only these guys. And so, so therefore this scout must be better. It's a function of where they're scouting. It's a function of what the team was looking for. It's a function of so many things. And then you've got, you know, everyone, I often get the question, well, who are the players this scout discovered? That's really hard because if a scout is in this area, then he's going to see this. And then if, if, the, if he's close to the team's headquarters, there's a better chance that multiple people from the team are going to go to that school. And then he's going to have cross checkers come over it and then GMs come over it. And then you've got to add in na- the role that national and blesto play. So no one ever really has one guy they can say, that's my guy. I discovered that guy. And so it's, Hard to build your reputation. It's very, again, very brick by brick, brick by brick, and it's very, um, you know, there's so much that goes into it. And then you have the fact that I think if you have some longevity, then you're able to build more relationships. And I think that goes into it as well because, again, you get to get the things that may not be covered in the Zoom call. You get to get the things that. Uh, they wouldn't tell anyone else because they're afraid it could be their job, but they had that trust level. And so they're, they're willing to tell a scout that scout may know a lot of people, but he may not, maybe he's not the best evaluator, but he knows everybody and he can get information on players that no one else would be able to get. And how do you value that? How do you place him in the pecking order of your, your guy? So it's a very difficult thing. And the other factor is People that are getting GM jobs now, um, it's a very kind of regimented thing. You've got to be a certain age. You can't be too old. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've talked about in our Friday wrap, uh, Alonzo Highsmith is uh, who's with the Seattle Seahawks now, but he's been with Green Bay and, um, and, and with the Browns. And I don't think anyone in the NFL would say he's one of the top five evaluators in the game. But for whatever reason, he never got, never got that opportunity. Now he's 50. He's got a little bit of uh, – he's got salt and pepper hair instead of black hair now. And he's not getting that opportunity because people want to win the press conference, man. They want some hot, young, you know, fancy guy in his early 40s that everyone's going to see as a, as, a, as a future, you know, boy genius. And so age is a big part of it. Um, it's just, again, harder and harder to have that perfect cross-section of exactly what you want and – Teams don't even know exactly what they want. And then you factor in analytics, uh, which is kind of everyone seeing as the way to go, but no one really has cracked that code. No one's got that Rosetta Stone. So it's just really hard to evaluate scouts. It's really hard to see how they all fit together. It's hard to 
give them accountability. And I haven't seen a, a team that really does that. I, I mean, I've, I've heard methodology to some degree, but never in a real cohesive fashion, certainly not way in a way that everyone has accepted across the league. So because of that, it's just hard to know who's good and hard to know who's bad. And I'll add, Alex, a lot of times guys get fired um, or not renewed or whatever, and I'll go and I'll ask people around them, hey, why did this happen? They've all got different reasons. I mean, no one – it's never easy to say, well, this is why this guy isn't in the league anymore, and this is why this guy is in the league anymore, other than, you know, the reason we discussed previously on this call. Yeah, so then I guess is, is the real kind of the only fast and like true way to do it, just to taking a case study of going like, like what you guys did on the call with people who bought the book, like looking at 2016 draft, um, you know, going back through your reports, hey, why did you write this? And creating a dialogue on a, on a yearly basis going back three, four years. And, you know, is there a way to apply that to college recruiters as well? What, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? I think anyone who's serious about this would do it in a way that is, you know, divorced from subjectivity. Um, but again, how do you do that exactly when most teams are subscribers to one of the two scouting services? So you kind of get that, here's the introduction of the player. It's very rare that someone would go into a school and they didn't know about a guy. Um, and he goes from completely off the radar to, uh, you know, a day one, day two kind of guy. Happens, but doesn't, not as common, but just because of the way everything's set up. And then, um, you know, when someone writes reports, you know, different teams kind of look at uh, players in different ways. One might say, well, this guy is this round. I'm going to put this round on him. Other teams don't really talk in rounds. They talk in where would he fit into our team. So, uh, you know, again, you, you can evaluate a – I think you can evaluate a scout in a certain way, but it would be a struggle to be subjective about it. And it would also be a struggle to really say how much of this was this scout and how much of it was, again, factors around him that kind of gave him an advantage to seeing this player. And how much was it – well, we – our cross-checkers liked him. Our GM liked him. Um, maybe even more so than the scout did. You know, um, I one of the pitfalls of scouting is that it becomes a groupthink thing. And it is risky to get on the table, to use the old scout term, and really advocate for a player. Because uh, you know, if you're wrong and you're too much outside of the box, you'll, box, you'll be seen as a guy who's not a team player. And, um, you know, I think a lot of times if a scout is seen as a guy who doesn't go with a the crowd, then he's looked down upon, frowned upon. That's seen as a negative. Well, honestly, he should be the guy that you want because he's willing to be original and think for himself and, and not, uh, you know, just pair at the party line. That's not always what you want in scouting because, again, you're looking for loyalty. You're looking for the guy that is part of the team and isn't going to turn his back on you or stab you or whatever because it is such a – a difficult business to crack and a different business to stay in. So it's just a really complicated matter and, and a hard thing. And I guess that's one reason why I've come to understand a little bit more why people are not evaluated in an, in an objective way. I still think there's got to be a way to try, but it's just a, uh, it's a, it's a complicated issue. I think it, it's got to go team, team by team based on how they evaluate. Like you said, 
you know, some people are round based, some people are, um, you know, role or value placed. Um, last, last real question. What's one piece of advice you'd give a young entry level student recruiting assistant out there listening to the show that's trying to find their way as an aspiring scout? Like just like one major takeaway from this show. It's the human element. There are a lot of, especially scouts who look a little more like me, they have, have some gray in their hair that really value the, the handwritten letter, the phone call, that kind of stuff over the text or the email or the social media. Um, I have a friend, I don't think he would mind if I shared the story, named Mark Gorshak. He's been an area scout for the Steelers for you know, decades. And uh, Mark is one of the guys I really admire in this industry. And Mark talks about how, you know, like I say, Mark knows more people than I, I mean, he has forgotten more people than I know in this industry. And yet Mark will, when he's getting ready to go into the building at a school, he will have all his thank you notes written. He's got them addressed already. And then when he's got 15 minutes before uh, he's waiting for practice to start, he's writing a quick note and putting his business card in to everyone he spoke to that day. Strength guy, academics guy, pro liaison, whatever. And then he's going to go out and Mark is going to try to find – <laughs> Mark's thing is he finds these goofy stamps, Mickey Mouse, Elvis, Arnold, whatever, you know, and he puts a goofy stamp on there um, just to be a, a little bit of frivolity. But he's written something personal in his own handwriting. He put his business card in there. He's got something like Ghost Stealers or whatever. And then he's got something like if he's at Rice, you know, go Rice, um, you know, go Owls, whatever. And he's doing all that stuff. He doesn't have to do all that stuff. Most people would just send a text and say, hey, man, I appreciate you. That's how I would do it. Mark is taking the time to carry the stationery around, to do all this stuff. Now he's got to go find a post office box or whatever to mail it. That is a, that's going the extra mile, but people remember that. He does that everywhere he goes. He doesn't need to do that. I mean, I'm sure people have, but Mark says he will go to a school's office and he'll go in someone's office and his thank you note is on the board there. That is a way to remember, people will never forget Mark for that. They think of him probably as a thank you note guy. You know, that's something memorable. And that human component to things is something that separates you from everyone else. There are so many people that can <laughs> recite all the terms, Alex. They can say everything. They can sound like Todd McShay up there. They. They know all the teams, they know all the players, they know all those things. But if you can, once you make that introduction, once you've met someone, if you can talk about that human, if you can make that contact and make that relationship stronger by doing something like that, that really proves you went the extra mile, it's going to resonate with people and it's going to help you build relationships that last. And it's going to, it's going to pay, pay dividends for you as you move through your career. As, uh, as you were talking about that, I, I had to, reach into my desk and pull out this card, same type of card he probably sent you. And I mean, it's, it's everything you just talked about. He right. said, happy, everything worked out for you. This is right after I got to rice. Easy, easy move. Cause I, he called me and we talked on the phone, but like that personal connection, remembering just something little and you're telling the other person, Hey, I heard you, you know, like, right. Hey, you know, you're important to me. Right. So, um, yeah, Mark's awesome. He's actually the only scout that when I was at Houston, 
took the time to say, hey, would you and your scout, your, your, your recruiting assistants, do y'all want to get a, you know, kind of a rundown of how we do things in the league, how to evaluate? And he had all this stuff. He had, you know, printouts and stuff. He was like, I can just grab it from my car. Give me one second. And dude just went and talked shop to us for an hour. But, hey, man, I, I'm going to let you get going. And, again, I really, really appreciate you taking time to jump on this call. Um, where can our listeners find you inside the league and, uh, you know, pick up this book, Scout Speak? Well, Scout Speaks on Amazon, you know, it's, you can find anything on Amazon now. Um, you search for my name, uh, Neil Stratton or the book. Uh, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. I'm not super active on Twitter, Alex, but I'm on there. Um, when there's news to break, that's where we try to break it, uh, especially in the scouting industry. Uh, I have a blog uh, at our site called Succeed in Football. That's totally free. So a lot of people say, hey, how do I learn more about scouting? We, I talk a lot about scouting on my blog. I know blogs are really passe now. No one reads them anymore. But um, that's a place that I would go that's not going to cost you anything, that you might be able to go and get ideas about the industry. Uh, we talk about some pretty fun things, some pretty interesting stuff. Um, we're expanding our Zoom presence. We're doing a lot more of this kind of stuff, like what we're doing today. And we talk about that usually on, uh, at, at, on, on Twitter at Inside the League. And then, of course, the mothership is InsideTheLeague.com itself. And uh, we have a subscriber. Uh, that's a subscriber portal. It's 30 bucks a month, twenty nine ninety five a month. But, um, you know, people that are interested, come, just send me an email. And you can contact me through the site. It goes directly to me. And if you have questions or if you want to check out the site for a while before you subscribe, I understand. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to give you a, a, a try. But um, at the end of the day, I'm at all these all-star games um, in January. And people that are out there that are interested in the industry, come find me. Um, you know, there's a lot of dead time at these games. There's a lot of dead time in hotel lobbies. There's a lot of dead time, you know, when you're waiting for a plane or whatever. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy, happy to talk to you about the industry and, and any way that I can help. I certainly don't have all the answers, but I can at least tell you what I know and, and what I've come to see. And, uh, you know, again, it's fun. And um, I can't tell you, Alex, how many people I've met along the way that were kind of starting out and now they're established like yourself, you know, uh, in less than 10 years, um, you're, you're a guy at an all-star game that I'm bumping into, and now you're, you're running a, a program. So uh, that's exciting stuff, man, and, and uh, a lot of fun and really gratifying to maybe play some small, tiny role in someone's personal growth and them achieving a lifelong goal like that. Well, thank you again, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you.